So the big question is this, are you tired of the hustle and grind of fix and flip? Do you really think you can wholesale your way to success? What you really want is a cash flowing portfolio that lets you live a life of freedom, sunsets and palm trees on your terms. But what if you're stuck because you have no capital, no time and no idea where to start? That ends now. Your host, Corey Peterson, is a rags-to-riches real estate millionaire who started out with no money or credit and quickly grew a portfolio of cash-flowing apartments. Not to mention, he did it all with other people's money. You're only one deal away from creating the cash flow life, and the Multifamily Legacy Podcast will show you how. So now, here's your host, the big kahuna, Corey Peterson. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Multifamily Legacy Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Peterson. We've got a really good segment today that we're really going to dive deep into some material that you're going to want to pay attention. My guest is uh, John Kasman, and he is a GP in over $70 million of apartment real estate. He's got a podcast called the Target Market Insights Podcast. He's the co-creator of Midwest Real Estate Networking Summit. And his, his former background is, is in marketing for corporate America. So he has, we're going to really focus today on, you know, the marketing aspect of apartment syndication. How do you get investors? How do you grow your database? All stuff like that. Uh, John, welcome to the show, brother. Corey, thank you for having me on. Cool. So um, before we kind of get into the, the minutia of this, just give me a quick little like snippet of your, of your journey, man. Yeah, man. So backgrounds in marketing, right? Coming out of school, loved marketing. I've always been interested in uh, understanding how brands and how people convey their message, right? You got the best product in the world, the best service in the world. But if you don't know how to convey that to someone and convey the benefits to them, uh, it's not really going to grow, right? So I've always been interested in that. I worked in Detroit and I worked in the automotive space and ended up going client side. So I was at General Motors and this is from 2007 to 2011. For any of your listeners who are thinking about that time frame, uh, you can think about what it's like working at a company like GM during that time period, right? So, uh, but it wasn't all that. Very volatile, right? Very volatile. And one of the things that came for me during that time period was, you know, I watched a lot of people get let go. And ultimately, what was really clear, you know, I was working hard as a busy professional, but I didn't want to be in a position where my entire livelihood was completely tied to a corporation, right? No matter how big. You know, they talked about too big to fail. Well, we did, right? So you never want to be in a situation where everything you've done, everything you do, everything you are was tied to another entity that you had no control over. So that was the thing that really rang true for me. So I knew at that moment that I really wanted to focus on real estate. I ended up moving to Chicago a couple of years later, started investing in real estate, building up a personal portfolio. And uh, while I was doing that kind of on the side, you know, I just really got a great passion for it. And uh, ultimately got to the point where we started running out of, our, out of our own capital. And at that moment and talking to people and them learning what we were doing, they got really interested in what we were doing. And I thought they would just go do what we were doing too. And ultimately I realized that they were interested in what we were doing, but not to go and replicate it. You know, So after one person said, well, listen, if you find something that we can maybe partner up on, I'd have interest in that. The light bulb kind of went off and started to learn more about working with other people's money, working with investors, and then ultimately apartment syndication. Dude, that's a, so hold on. Let me just put a pause there because that's, for anybody that's thinking about doing apartment syndication, 
you will eventually run out of money. It's not an if, it's more like when. And most of the times you lose, you run out of money on your first deal. About after you put your earnest money deposit, you're pretty much out of money. <laughs> and so what we're going to talk about next is really the crutch um, that syndication is built upon is, and you said it, I thought really well, is that people are very interested. And we tend to, because this is how my brain and probably your brain is wired, and a lot of entrepreneurs that are listening to this are wired, is that they should be thinking just like me. Like, I want to, you know, I want to get in the deal. I want to do apartments. But the truth is, most of them are not. Thank God, right? Because what they really just want is to find someone like you or like me to somehow and get some return. Yeah. Well, and Corey, at that time, I was buying smaller properties, right? So I was buying duplexes, two to four units. We ended up buying an eight-unit building. And I was telling everybody, go house hack. And I was adamant. I mean, that was the one thing I would go jump on the table. If you're renting, go house hack. Get a two to four unit property, live in one unit, rent out the others, cash flow. They're paying the mortgage. It's the phenomenal strategy. You can get an FHA loan with three and a half percent down. And I would look at my friends and other people I would meet and they would just, you know, they're not their head. And they, they had, you know, they never wanted to do it, right? No one wanted to leave their home. People, maybe they already bought a house or a condo or something like that. And I, I get it to an extent, but I just thought it was a phenomenal strategy. And then ultimately, once we started realizing, well, maybe there's an opportunity to partner with people and work with them. Well, when you're buying a two-unit building, there's just not enough cash flow to make it make sense for me and for that investor, right? So right. you start looking at it and you need to scale up to the point where there's enough cash flow and enough upside where you can give an investor a decent portion of it. And there's still enough in it for you where it's worth your time and worth your energy. Otherwise, you're doing a whole lot of work for you know a couple hundred bucks and it's just not worth it. Right. Yeah. So scaling up is the key there, right? So, and I'm a big believer in just go big, right? Now, I know a lot of people say, hey, listen, go do whatever you can. And that works. Like you just gave a scenario, fourplexes, duplexes, you know, anything in between. But I personally just am like, just go buy a hundred unit apartment complex, right? I mean, take the time. Maybe it takes you six to eight months to develop what we're going to talk about is how to get the right people to raise their hand and say, hey, I'm interested. I'll give you my money, right? Because once you do that bigger deal, then it comes with all the things that a bigger deal has, which is property management, staff, people, right? That makes the job a lot easier. And I think it's a little bit less riskier too. Yeah, I agree with you completely, Corey. Yeah. I agree with you completely. I mean, think about it, right? So my background's in corporate America. I'm used to sitting in a room. If I say something or someone else says something and we agree to it, it gets done, period, right? If we talk about scheduling a meeting or a follow-up or we're going to make, we've made whatever decision, that happens. Well, when you start investing in real estate, especially on smaller properties, you know, you can talk to a contractor or a property manager or different people you'll agree to something and you'll ask them for something or to do something and they won't do it. And it's not that they can't or they're in, you know, in equipped to do it. It's just a different mentality. And when you're dealing with smaller assets, you're dealing with more blue collar workers at the core and you've got to really supervise and stay on top of them. Now, the difference is when you get to that hundred unit and up space, now you're dealing with professionals. You're dealing with companies that have capital, they have reputations they want to protect. And ultimately, they only do business with other 100 plus unit operators. So they're going to act in a very professional way versus the guy who just manages a bunch of single family houses. So when you get to that space, for me, at least as a, as a 
you know, a guy with a corporate background, someone who's a busy professional, it was much easier working with those individuals because I can just tell them, hey, we need to do X, Y, Z. They would go execute it versus me saying, hey, go paint this room, go do that, go do this. And then I still need to show up to see if they showed up. And if they did show up, are they doing what we told them to do? So, yeah. I mean, that's the big difference in working with it's a lot less versus the small ones. Yeah. Absolutely. A lot less babysitting, which is, and which is, I think, what most of us are striving for is we want to do make more by doing less, by managing a bigger picture, right? Absolutely. We want to become the puppet master. <laughs> Absolutely, man. That's what we, want. we all want passive income, right? I mean, that's the whole point is to stop exchanging hours for dollars and start getting the freedom that real estate can provide. So this is a great way to do that. Dude, I, I love so that, that passive income. I don't think it's talked about enough. We can never talk about it enough because I, I got so many friends that are fiction flippers and wholesalers. And dude, I mean, they all want to do, they all want to do multifamily, I think, just because I've been tooting this, you know, because you know why? Because it's cash flow. It's passive, man. They, they got to go hunt and gather every day, every month, the same way, man. And like multifamily, the, the whole, it is the real true eye spot to be in. Absolutely. I mean, you're dead on, man. And, and the beauty of it too, is you have the appreciation potential there. But you control it, right? And the, the problem, and I, I did a couple of fix and flips and they suck. They were terrible. The worst thing I ever did. And the difference is that when you flip a property, you only make money when you sell, right? And it's one time. It doesn't matter how much equity you create or any of that. It doesn't matter until a buyer comes along and actually purchases the asset from you. And then once they do that, there's no more money to be made in the property, right? With right. multifamily, you're getting cash flow. When, if you're buying right and buy with, I think you and I have very similar models, right? So you're getting cash flow day one. You're able to create equity and upside. You can refinance and pull out some of that equity. You can hold on to it. You can sell. Like there are a lot of different levers you can pull to make money in that asset. And I mean, that's the thing that I love about multifamily. And the biggest piece is you're making money day one and you're running a business plan versus coming in and running a construction company. And to be honest, I just learned the hard way. I'm not a construction guy. I'm not the guy who should be coming in and demo and everything and all right we're gonna get this done in three weeks no none of it ever got done in three weeks right <laughs> it's way easier for me to come in in a very professional setting gonna happen too, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly exactly on time on schedule on budget never happened right uh but i realized again when you're starting to talk about a more professional environment i mean i was used to running overseeing a hundred million dollar advertising budget right Right. Seeing seven agency partners. So, so I understand you learn something management. from that. You learn something from that too, right? I mean, that's, oh, yeah. you're calling, you just said car dealerships. We all know car dealerships advertise, like really advertise. Yeah. And to be in part of that, that's like a front sheet, uh, row seat to the show, man. Like if you're going to learn advertising and marketing dealerships or, and you're not even working for the dealership, you're working for the car maker. Yep. That's huge, man. That's a yeah. big resume to bring to uh, the table when it comes to marketing for, we'll, we'll call it marketing for investors, even though, you know, it's, it's, it, there's a process and there's a right way to do it, but it really is about building wealth and build, building that cash flow. And you know what the difference is too? I always think about this too, man, serious multifamily guys that, that really understand the game. They're all, they all play the long game. You know what I'm saying? Like, no one that I might talk to someone that's really involved in multifamily. I've never heard anybody talk about a short term, like I want a quick little piece of money. It's always the long game. They're always focused on the long game. And I, I love that because the attitude's different. 
And I got to tell you, you have that same attitude, which is, it's the long game, dude. I'm building, I'm stacking my chips so one day I can walk away and I'm still going to be filthy rich. That's it, man. Absolutely. And to your point, it's, it's a long game and there are a lot of steps you have to do. And it's about building a brand. When you're playing the long game, you know, part of that is the difference between you mentioned the, the car dealership, right? So here, here's a great example. And I used to fight this back in my, my automotive days. You know, the sales guys, they love the end of the month sales campaign, right? Come get your new lease for $2.99, right? They love that because it drove immediate traffic. I hated it. The reason I hated it was because it devalued our product. Right. And ultimately, I was playing the long game. I was looking to build a brand that could command whatever price tag we put on a vehicle. And people saw the value and wanted to pay that versus the short game, which is about immediate returns. And that was the problem that we faced. You know? And it was a, it's, a, it's a sales versus marketing thing where a sales guy, they don't care. They're going to do whatever it takes to get a sale today and not worry about the brand. And as a marketer, you're trying to get to the point where you're attracting capital, right? That's the difference, right? So yeah, sales guys, they're analogy. going out there, they're going out there, they're hunting, right? They're going out and they're trying to find it and they're working hard and they're working the phones and cold calls and all that stuff. The marketing guy, the person who's actually built a brand, they're attracting capital. It's coming to them. So people are calling them, they're reaching out because they know the value that this person brings. So I've always been more of a marketer. The problem is it takes more time and patience because you kind of have to, you know, you, you, you put a piece of content out there, you do a podcast, right? You, you put an episode out and you expect the world to flock to you and it doesn't necessarily work that way, right? You still kind of have to balance the sales and the marketing aspects. But from a marketing standpoint, you do want to make sure you're building that brand and building a reputation where people want to work with you, not just today, but for the long haul. Yeah. John, you know, I sold cars, right? Did you? Four years, bro. Oh, man. I bet you were great at it, too, didn't you? I was the sales guy, dude. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I put a four square on him, man. You know? <laughs> I had to learn how to become a better marketer. And, and, but I do understand the value of brands because it really was what drives my company now is our, you know, our brands. And um, so let's let's talk let's talk about marketing in real estate and specifically what are you doing to really it's, it's about attracting potential investors right yeah I mean I think that so the you know anyone who gets into apartment syndication it really comes down to two aspects right it's finding deals and then pairing those deals with the capital to do them right yep. um, so finding deals that's you know those are typically coming from brokers if you're talking about the size deals we're talking about. You can try to go off market. It gets a little more tricky on the larger stuff. I mean, these are very sophisticated groups who typically own these properties. So they're not going to sell to you for 70 cents on the dollar. And building the broke relationships is probably. Oh, wait, time out. I got to help. Yeah, go ahead. Because, man, so many times I, I just had a training person that came through my training and was like, Should I go do this one thing to do direct marketing? And I'm like, No. Like, that's a waste of money. Like, just go call brokers and build relationships, right? Because it really is, it, it's a very small niche, but dude, this business by far and away is done through relationships with brokers. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, on the larger stuff, it, it absolutely is through the brokers. Now, on the small the way, stuff, the five, 10 yeah. units, 15 units, go all out and you can direct mail market all day long, right? Yeah. But on 100 unit plus, most of the times, uh, you'll want to get that stuff from the broker. It's too much work, in my opinion, to do it any other way. Yeah, put yourself in the shoes of the seller, right? 
you own this 150 unit asset. You got a flyer in the mail. First of all, did you even get the flyer? Is it coming to you? Who's it going to, right? So it's probably going to some, you know, uh, family office or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. exactly. But let's just assume it does go to you. If you decide to sell, are you just going to call the guy on a flyer and say, hey, sure, what do you want to do? Or are you going to go to a broker? I mean, like, again, typically when you can get an off-market deal, there's a different problem that you're solving. And the best way to get and by the way, off-market doesn't necessarily mean that it's not with a broker, right? You can get off-market deals that are with brokers. They're just not being marketed to the masses. So having a broker relationships is probably going to be the easiest way. There's only a finite number of 100-plus unit properties. And I bet you they know the story of damn near all of them. So I would go to the broker first before you start spending a whole lot of money on an advertising campaign or direct mail on the 100-unit-plus stuff. Yeah. So, so the first part of the equation is find deals. That's really through relationships. Um, the second part of the equation, which is what we want to talk about, that's a little bit different. That's different, right? So when you're looking to get the capital, right? Obviously, if you're very well off and you've had a great fortune in life, you might have all the capital yourself or in your direct network that's easy to go out and buy these properties, right? But for most people, you don't have all that capital. When you're talking about a hundred 100 unit asset, let's call it a $10 million acquisition, you might need three to $4 million to take this thing down. So with that kind of a deal, you know, you're probably looking to raise a lot of that capital that you need to, to do. And ultimately, you need to go out and find investors who are going to work with you. Depending on how close you are with the SEC, there are a couple of ways that you're allowed to raise capital without basically with having an exemption. So you don't have to go through the entire process. One's called 506B. The other is 506C. With B, uh, the B exemption, that allows you to raise from people you have pre-existing relationships with. Um, you can accept sophisticated investors, and those are people who are not accredited. Uh, being an accredited investor means that you either earn an income of $200,000 as an individual, you earned um, $300,000 filing jointly, this is over the last two years, um, or you have a net worth of $1 million. So if you're accredited, Great, you can do either or, um, but you can only take up to 35 non-accredited or sophisticated investors. Now, on a 506C deal, the beauty is is that you can you can open it up to accredited investors only, and you can advertise. You can go out and do whatever. On a 506B deal, you cannot advertise. You have to have a pre-existing relationship. So there are some things there. So the question is, well, geez, if I don't know enough people that have this kind of capital then how do I go out and do that, right? So you have to start building a network and start attracting people to you. And that's where you start to figure out, okay, how do you do that? You do that a multitude of different ways. Um, To give you a few options, one thing you want to do, and the most basic thing you want to do is create a website, right? I mean, have a website where people can learn more about you. They can learn about what you do and they can opt in to receive more information from you. Now, I will tell you, I know a lot of people in this space, and most of them all have websites, but not everyone does a good job of making it easy for someone who's come to their website to A, learn about them, and then B, opt in to get more information. And those are very basic things. If someone came to your website to learn about you or apartment investing, you want to make it easy for them to get in touch with you. And then ultimately, you want to start to establish that relationship so you have established that pre-existing relationship. So if you do have an offering, you can you know, get them involved and talk to them about that in the future. So we call that a lead magnet, right? In my vocabulary. So 
And a lot of times the easiest way to have a lead magnet is or a hook is by giving away something free of value, right? So it could be um, a free book, right? People say, well, I don't have to write a book. People, when they think of, oh, I need to write a book, they think of the book. And it could be the book, like the tiny little book, right? Like the 10-page book or report. We want to call it report. It could be, um, and it really could be just a free report. I mean, it could be something, it could be something just as much as here's what my company does and and talk about your co- what your company, your brand, right? And for the and and people will pay for that. Or they'll talk about or it could be a, a series of videos explaining. I mean, there's the it's endless of what you can do, but as long as you're not advertising a deal, you can talk about your brand and your company all day long and give that away. People will opt in for that if they're interested. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's it. And that's the whole point. You call it a lead magnet and that's something you give away in exchange for an email address, right? So someone comes in, you give them a lead magnet and you got to figure out what works, right? You can test out some things and try out some various elements, but uh, doing a deal magnet or a lead magnet is really a great way to get more people into it, right? So then it comes down to you got their email address. Now what, right? Yes. This is where you know, many people start to differ. Some folks, they get it. You send them whatever free thing you said you were going to give them. And then after that, that's it. They're just in your system, right? And I think this is a missed opportunity. This is something we're talking to a lot of folks about right now. This is a big missed opportunity. They've come to your website. They've opted in for more information. This is a phenomenal time to follow up with them. If you can quickly try to get them on the phone or, you know, have a one-on-one email with them or even just a sequence, you know, we call it maybe a sequence email or a drip campaign. You might have heard either term. But that's when you start to send them more emails because they're going to be the most likely to read your emails the moment they opt in versus you know three months later. So get them into the flow of learning more about you, your company, what you do. And then ultimately, if you can get them on a live conversation, if you can get them on a phone call, that's going to be the best way to get to know them as an investor and then figure out, hey, is this somebody who would be interested in working with us? Are we interested in working with them going forward and build on the relationship from there? So that's a great way to actually go from you know, not having any investors to creating a website, putting together a lead magnet, and putting together a short series of communications that allows you to qualify that investor for your deals. All right, perfect. Let's, I'm going to hit the brakes. I'm going to, give, uh, I'm going to build on that idea because that's exactly what you should be doing. Right now, the reason why I like a free book now, personally, if you have a book, send people a real book. Don't give them a um, digital copy. I know it's cheaper and easier to give people a digital copy. I understand this, but there is so much value in something arriving through the door that I think it's huge. Plus, guess what you just got if you send it? Their address, right? So it could be, hey, get a, your free book, and then it's, hey, where do you want us to ship it? And now you've got their address. We like to do both. So we have two different campaigns we built. One is a email campaign and one is a uh, direct address, a direct mail campaign, right? So if we get emails and addresses, we have different lead magnets for different things, right? So we test and monitor this. But if we get your address, we're now going to send you a a whole um, six or seven, uh, uh, six by like five by seven cards in the mail they don't look like a, it's not a number 12 or number whatever it doesn't look like a bill it looks like a, <laughs> a, a birthday card okay and so and then we do um fear like fear logic um you know uh, company like we have different 
messages that we base on fear, you know, fear logic. There's another one that I'm, I'm missing, but anyways, it has to do with the senses of how we think and how, how people operate. And we're just trying to show them how we kind of fit in those solutions, right? So fear, um, you know, fear for us is running out of money, right? Are, you know, are you afraid of running out of money? And um, we've also learned that, you know, who is your target market? You and I have talked about that. So who do you feel like your target market is? Yeah, that's a great, phenomenal thing. And before you even answer that question, I think that's the most critical piece, right? Because you think about it, and I, you know, I'm, a, I'm of the belief that uh, if you have an abundance mentality, there's a lot of opportunities out there, right? And I didn't want to do a podcast for a long time. And I talked to a few folks. I'm like, listen, there's a ton of podcasts out there. The world doesn't need another podcast. And what I ultimately realized was there's always a voice that you have and value you can create. And there's people out there who are looking for the solutions that you have. Going back to where we started the conversation, right? Yep. So for me, my target market is pretty simple. Um, we are looking at busy professionals, folks who are, like you said, uh, scared they're going to run out of money, um, whether that is they're exchanging hours for dollars, you know, maybe they're facing the same kind of corporate situations that I faced back in 2008, where I was looking over my shoulder and hoping I didn't get let go. Yeah. Um, and, you know, busting your tail. And I, and I think it's not just the money, but it's also the time. You know, I've got a five-year-old and a three-year-old. And for me, it became pretty clear that what I didn't want to do was, yeah, I've got plenty of money and I can, you know, you can work your butt off and do all those things. But if you do that and sacrifice your family and you wake up and your kids in college, you really, you know, the, the whole childhood was a blur, you know, did you really do it the right way? So for the folks who actually want to make more money, but not necessarily sacrifice their time to do that, that's the person we're going after. Now we drilled down even deeper to that because we think it's really important. This is kind of what I did in my marketing time was, you know, we really understand who that target consumer is. What are they thinking about? What, what are they going through? What I found also is there's sometimes a difference between who you think your target, target market is and who actually, you know, are the people who are buying True. the product, right? Right. So, um, one of my clients is Ann One. I, I think, I hope I can, can say some of this. Um, but anyway, you know, they have their, their target consumer who they identified and then you look at who's actually purchasing well they're selling a ton of stuff you know in walmart and it's not the guy who they you know we put up on the wall and you all of our messaging is going towards now in some instant instances there you know you have to rectify that or, or figure out how do you work through it in my case you know there's a, a target audience that we had and we were really focusing more on kind of you know guys people like myself right guys younger, busy professionals, uh, some multicultural. And what we found was, yes, we're getting that. But we also, for whatever reason, we have a lot of uh, Asians specifically in our database. We have a lot of European males uh, who are our investor database and uh, especially immigrant European males. So we have a lot of that. And you know, you don't fully understand why or what it is about you that connects, but it is important for you to understand who you want to target. And then sometimes you step back and you say, okay, well, hey, but who am I getting? My right? consumer. Yeah. yeah. It's who, who are you fishing for? Who are you getting? And what is it about my message that's resonating with these people? And sometimes right. it's phenomenal. And it's like, okay, great. Or what you may say is, hey, you know what? I'm not, I'm not clearly communicating something. Right. And in this right. case, let's say if you are trying to attract higher net worth investors, and you're only getting, you know, lower, uh, lower net worth investors, 
then maybe it's something in your messaging that's coming across where it's either not going to the right people because I was hosting, you know, I host a meetup. And what I realized is that, you know, most high net worth individuals don't necessarily go to a bar for a meetup on a Monday night. That's just not necessarily how they're spending their time. So, you know, if that's one of your avenues for connecting with investors, you might have to change that and say, okay, well, where is this individual? You know, how do I put my message in the place where they're most likely to receive it? So that all goes into understanding your target market, right? It it's really the message, is. It's I the guess. place, you know, and you've got to understand their pain points. And if you can do those things, now you can really convey a message. Understand that really the pain. Them. Understand the pain. That's, I love that really, uh, well, all three things you just said right there are gold, right? It really is. When you understand that, those three things, now you can craft your brand to then address that type of, and, you, and you'll, it's really like, but there's lots of ponds to fish in, but when you find, and still it's a, it's still a, an experiment. All this, all advertising is, is I think an experiment, Right. Little and if you do it right, you control the experiment and then you change a variation until you find the right, you know, scheme that gets the best outcome. I mean, that's really in my mind, that's what great marketers do is they test, tweak, and experience, or at least in this day and age on the internet, you can do it pretty certainly, right? And pretty cheaply. It's not you can take all the things you learned from a big corporate spender in advertising dollars. And apply that to where you can spend fifty dollars on a Facebook ad, right, right. And I can tell you if you're doing it right, right, you can see your metrics, dude. Well, that's that's wonderful content, by the way. Just, I mean, that really is good stuff. So the other part that you said that I wrote down was um, the actual call, really calling people. This is something that I think a lot of people get really afraid of. But man, it is the absolute thing that changes everything in my opinion. You want to speak to that? Like when you have conversations with investors, that's what yeah. you want. That's the, ultimately the goal. Uh, that's it. The goal, I mean, and I'll tell you for personal experience, I, and I'm trying to think through, I, I don't, I, I believe this is true, uh, but I don't think I've ever had an investor invest with me that I didn't have a conversation with. And it's, you know, the internet makes things easy and obviously folks can watch, you know, videos and things like that and they feel a little bit more comfortable with you, but I'm uncomfortable if I don't have a chance to talk to you, right? I mean, it's one thing to be in my newsletter. I don't even know if I want you in my deal, right? That's my point. That's my point. I don't even know, like, if you... I have, I have, fil- you have filters. You're like, I have filters. You have filters. Exactly. You exactly. Be, you get in my deals because you got money. That doesn't qualify you. Exactly, right? And that's that's part of the, the concern, right? And it's a two-way street, you know, and I think a lot of folks, especially if you're early on, early on and you're trying to get money and I get it, right? The, the clock is ticking and you need to raise X amount of dollars. Uh, and if this guy wants to invest, you're like, cool. But um, you really do need to kind of take a moment and bet all of your investors too, right? And I think it's a two-way street. You know, at the end of the day, at least for me, because I am focused on building the long-term brand, I want to get to know what this person's looking for because if, if they're looking for something that is not what we do, let's say, for instance, uh, their real goal is to um, have extra money to pay for their, their daughter to go to college. Okay, that's a great goal. Well, if the daughter's 16, then their time horizon is way shorter than me if I'm doing a five to 10 year hold period, right? If the daughter's three, then it's great. <laughs> you know. So those are the kind of things where you only get that in a live conversation because you know if their expectation is, hey, we're going to get this money, you're going to double my investment in three years. 
that's not guaranteed. And we can't, I mean, that nothing is guaranteed, but that's not something that I would feel comfortable if that was a, their goal. And I'd want to have a live conversation because at the end of the day, I want to make sure we take care of our investors. And I can only do that if I know what their goals are and what they're trying to accomplish. Yeah. What CRM are you using to track your, um, um, your leads and stuff like that? We use two different ones right now. It's actually something I'm hoping to uh, change over the next six months or so. But right now I use MailChimp and PipeDrive. So MailChimp is great for um, kind of our email campaigns. Yeah. Um, but PipeDrive I use really more for, for myself. It's more of the way I track conversations. I'm familiar uh, with PipeDrive. I almost bought PipeDrive. Yeah. It's yeah. kind of a lead tracking. Um, uh, it can help you have a flow from, you know, prospect to or suspect the prospect to client journey right correct and, and it's way it's way to keep you tasked uh, very systematically to uh, and it's really it's fairly inexpensive too yeah it's not expensive i was looking at constant contact uh, i know a lot of uh, other operators i know they use constant contact uh, some use active campaigns so there's definitely some other ones out there that uh anybody listening you should check them out for me, pipe drive was very cost efficient. And you know, what, what the problem I was looking to solve was mostly, you know, I, I would have notes everywhere, right? I would talk yep. to someone and I'd write, take notes on my phone or I'd take notes on my notebook or, you know, I'd type on my computer if I was in front of my computer. And I just realized, hey, I spoke to this guy, you know, three months ago, he was looking for a certain type of investment. This is perfect. And, you know, I'm trying to jog my memory and go through my notes and everything. And it was just all disorganized. So, for me, it was a matter of let's have one place where I can track all of the the people I meet, the investor conversations and things like that. And you can do some of this in MailChimp, but with PipeDrive, what I liked there was I can do I can log phone calls and I can log activities. So let's say they're brokers that you want to build relationships with. I can make it I can make an activity where um, essentially I force myself or I'll get an alarm to say, hey, call this guy every call month, this guy yes know? every tuesday at 10 a.m whatever you can set and you can obviously use your calendar too but you start tracking a, a database of hundreds of people it gets a little tricky uh, but you can bucket them right so i can say hey on wednesdays i'm going to do calls and you know, i'm going to go through and make 50 or you know 20 phone calls whatever it is right yeah you can you can you can program those kind of tasks so i like it for that i think it's really cool and it, it syncs directly into your Gmail, which I use for uh, for our email database, yep. as well as it syncs into Mailchimp. So if someone you know that I I want to get them into the Mailchimp stream, we can do that too. So it works both ways. Yeah, cool. Now, do you use any um, phone like recording process for or when we're calling investors at all? I don't. Um, I, I log. I take notes after my calls. So typically in PipeDrive, you can do that. If I call through the PipeDrive app you can essentially log the call and you can just type in your notes so right there. Here's what we've been doing. And this is maybe something. Um, so, and I got this from another guy. So that's not like I'm, I've, I've practiced what I teach. I copy my way to success <laughs> and anything I've ever done. One of the new routes that we are going into, we used to send people uh, an accredited investor questionnaire. Right. And so the thing with that is it's very like in your face and it's like, uh, so it's hard and people to get people to fill it out um, correctly. If, cause if they're not an accredited, they're sophisticated and then they have to answer lots of questions. And so, um, and that's sometimes difficult for people to actually do it. And sometimes they just don't because it's, you have to answer more financial questions. What we found is what we do now is we'll have a, seven simple questions for them to to answer and that leads to our phone call 
and it is a recorded call and we'll let them know that it's recorded. And then we're going to ask them the, the questions on our recorded line. And that's is absolutely how we are now getting um, people to get to have a substantive relationship. We've we've physically have, and have recorded it. We've said it's recorded uh, on purpose and we just go through and we have the conversations. And so that is like our stamp of, yes, we have had the conversation and, and it's logged into our, uh, now we use Infusionsoft only because I do a lot of marketing, right? And so in, in, in Infusionsoft, there's a plugin called um, Fix Your Funnel and Fix Your Funnel has a recording ability to then record, that, take that conversation, record it right in the notes of that client's contact. And we found that that's a really that's been a little ninja trick for us lately to get more conversions of our contacts. And so that's the one little tweak that we've done this year. And that's recent. And, and honestly, the truth is we're, it's in beta testing. Like I've not launched it. I've not launched it full time, but we've been, we've worked it a couple of times now where we think that we've got our little process dialed in and it's going to be the way forward for us. We found that it was a lot less resistance and it's a lot more acceptance to the process and and people are totally cool with the recorded line part because they understand hey this is just to protect you know both parties and no that, i love it i love it i think it, i think it's i think it's smart to do that and you're protecting everyone and then also now you have kind of something you can reference you know it's it's kind of a one one step thing it's kind of automated now versus and if you don't have it colrail colrail is another um company mm-hmm. so colrail is pretty cheap you can get a phone line that you can use and CallRail has that same ability to record the calls. You just have to uh, disclose that you're recording it. And then you can take that and then um, even take that and put it in PipeDrive. I'm, I'm not sure if PipeDrive is logged with CallRail or synced with it, but I, I know that you can still rip the audio from that, put it in uh, like PipeDrive or somewhere where you can save it and it's there forever as long as you have that software. Yep, yep. So there's a nice... That way, just in case you get audited, you have a trail, like here's the recorded call, like we did our job. Yep. Yep. And that's key too. I mean, you definitely want to make sure you have the records of those conversations. And I would say too, for, for your listeners, you know, I think sometimes what happens is you can get overwhelmed. Uh, you know, I, I love like you were talking earlier about sending the book and having the, the physical address. And that's a beautiful thing. And at some point we want to incorporate something like that too. But I think that also what's more important is getting started, right? Is yes. if, you're, if you're looking to get down this pathway, if you're looking to raise capital, or if you're looking to, you know, start building your database, you know, don't feel like you need to go buy all this software and do all these different yeah, things. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Get started, <laughs> right? Because it's great. And, and, I, and I, I went through this too, right? So, I mean, I went, I'm like, all right, well, I got to get this and I got to get that. And, and you go through it and you can get overwhelmed and, and, and it, it will freeze you. So what I would say, what's critical is, Get started and don't feel like you've ever mastered. Just You're go Corey talk about it. Yes. You're hearing Corey talk about stuff he's still tweaking in his model. I'm still tweaking a lot of stuff in my model. And the, the bottom line is this. What you want to do is you want to continue to find problems to solve. And hopefully those problems are, man, I'm spending a lot of time talking to investors. How can I make it more efficient, right? Well, yeah. it would be more efficient if I gave them this information up front. Or, you know what I mean? That's yeah, what you want no, to be solving start, for, not getting version started. Version one is better than version none. And, and, that's, and by the way, great, John, great point to make. You know, I forget sometimes that when I talk about these things that we're <laughs> at the level of sophistication that we have. 
you know, we need to start there. I started, you know, dialing for dollars. I feel like, you know, just calling the people that I know and just said, Hey, I want to share with you an idea because I think, you know, people, right. I didn't even ask them for money. I was just saying, Hey, I just want to share it. And maybe, you know, somebody, and really that's how I, I started my whole business was on that. But when I look back and you just pointed out to me, I just, I forget that what we've built so far is like, a, it's like, and sometimes we've had to destroy it, like totally from like, just hammer it all out and say, let's build a whole new show. Because as your business grows, what will happen is sometimes what you've built is so chaotic because in the beginning, we're just trying to, we have a little thing and then we add another little thing. And then eventually you got to be like, wait, hold on. It's maybe easier if we take this whole package over here. That's how we got to Infusionsoft. Because I would never recommend Infusionsoft for what we're doing unless um, you have someone that's, uh, like we have a builder that builds our stuff yeah. custom and because it's, confu- it's called Confusionsoft. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> but it has the ability to do so many really robust things that once you get it going, it works. So, but like, don't start there. Start with what you said. Mailchimp is great, and PipeDrive. That's because you got to have some CRM. And even there's another one. What am I thinking of? Not PipeDrive, but um, Podio. Yeah, Podio is another one that's kind of user based. It's not bad, but um, but you got to have something, right? Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of different ones out there. Constant Contact, Contactually, there's uh, there's quite a few out there. I mean, I started with Excel, right? I, mean, I started with yeah. an Excel document where I just put everybody's name, how I knew them, and you know the phone number and address if I had that, and I just go in there. And every time I got a new person, I'd put their name in there, and I did that until it got to a point where I looked at it saying, "All right, there's got to be something more efficient than uh, adding this to Excel." And then I had two different Excel documents, so. That started to get crazy. I'm like, all right, let's get a real CRM system. And that's kind of how we started transitioning. Rock and roll. John, listen, man, what a, this has been a great show. Um, appreciate your time. If people want to get a hold of you and find out, um, can you give me the places where people can find you again? Yeah, absolutely. So if you want to learn more about the show and some of the marketing insights and multifamily tips that we're providing, the show is Target Market Insights. It's available anywhere you listen to podcasts. It's a multifamily and marketing show. Uh, you can email me, john at kasmancapital.com. And then we actually did something different. You talked about lead generation. So we talked to a lot of people and we know a lot of passive investors as well as new active investors. They, they haven't really seen what a deal looks like. And for a lot of reasons, most people don't put deals out there, but we actually put together a fictitious deal. So we have a free sample deal that's available at our website, kasmancapital.com slash sample deal. You can download that. And I'd be happy to talk to you more about what you're going through, what you're seeing, but you can check that out as well. Man, rock and roll, dude. Dude, what a, what a great uh, plethora of uh, information. And just, you know, from your marketing background and your marketing mind, really a pleasure to have you on, brother. So thanks a lot, man. Hey, listen, guys, if you're listening to this podcast right now, um, you know, it really starts with step one, which is, hey, is making the, the choice, the decision that you're going to be a passive magnet. In other words, you're going to find people. You're going to get in this thing called apartment investing because it does create lifestyle that's amazing, but it is a choice. And it really starts with belief. And if you can believe it, you can achieve it. And your paradise is possible. Cool. All right, man. So let's um, let's just do a quick little, uh, quick rapid fire question. We'll, we'll do it on the marketing aspect. Cool. And, uh, we'll go from there. Sounds good. John, so we're talking about um, you know marketing for apartments and really how to find uh, 
investors in one or two minutes. Can you give me like your best tips on how to start that journey? Absolutely. So if you're looking to start connect with investors, you start with your own database, right? So you know people. I think the first thing you got to do is think about all the different buckets of people you know. So don't try to go individual by individual because that's going to be really hard. But start by, you know, where'd you go to college? Places you've worked, organizations you've been a part of, any nonprofits, things like that. Start with those groups and then start listing out the people that you've interacted with, that you have good relationships with. Once you have those groups, start there. Once you have that, you know, you should, you know, depending on your skill set and do you have experience, do you not have experience, if you're credible and you feel that you, these people would be wanting to invest with you, you can start reaching out. If, you, if you're not quite credible, if you've just read a book or just listened to this podcast and decided you want to start raising capital, build your credibility first. You know, figure out different ways to do that. Find a partner, become a limited partner on a deal. That's a great way to build some credibility, but build a little bit of credibility before you start reaching out to people who don't know you from a real estate standpoint. Dude, that is a, that's a great advice. Listen, that advice and a lot more is coming up. Stay tuned. Check, click the link below so you can get uh, this podcast and then we're going to have a plethora of information that you're going to really bite into. It's going to change your life.